Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Stop Turtle MMA Podcast on cagesidepress.com. I'm Dana Goodby-Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC is in Abu Dhabi this weekend for UFC 294, live on pay-per-view. We've had some crazy shuffling at the top of this card, but it is an absolute banger. And we'll be breaking down some of our favorite fights, giving you an underdog and a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat this weekend. It's part of our favorite segment, Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Plus, as always, we're giving you the interviews you know and love. Kicking off the show this week is the crippler Chris Levin, who is talking about MMA judging and refereeing. And a little bit later on in the show, we'll be talking to Mohamed Naimov, who is fighting in Abu Dhabi this weekend. But before we get to any of that great content for you, I do have to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Game of Heart Hydration. Welcome to the game. Welcome to Game of Heart Hydration, the new ready-to-drink beverage with sports drink flavor for adult drink fun. But make no mistake, this is no sports drink. It's a refreshing adult beverage with 4.9% alcohol by volume, a special blend of electrolytes, and way more than a hint of flavor. It's a drink that's, well, it's drinkable. Should you stretch before you drink it? Certainly couldn't hurt. Game Up's not a hard seltzer because hard seltzers just didn't work out. Game Up plays entirely in a league of its own, and it comes in all your favorite sports drink flavors, orange, lemon, lime, fruit, punch, and grape, and it hits all the right numbers at 110 calories, one gram of carbs. It's gluten-free, and it's got no added sugar. Game Up is for MMA maulers, urban fitness freaks, peak bagging badasses, tough mother mothers, beer league brawlers, hot yoga hotties, high handicap hackers, committed cornhole huckers, or even just professional poolside posers who game up and get after it. Ask for Game Up wherever it is you buy beer or hard seltzer, and bring it on home for the team. Game Up brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is former UFC middleweight contender, now professional referee and judge, the crippler Chris Lieben. So, Chris, I want to get to starting with what sort of let you get into being a referee or or led you into getting to be a referee and now a judge. What what sort of made you make that transition? You know, a lot of, uh, you know, former fighters wind up coaching and whatnot. What what made you want to join this side of things? Uh, Well, you know what? I mean, I, I mean... For me, it was kind of the obvious decision. I don't understand why more guys don't do it. Um, you know, obviously, I, you know, I have a gym. I'm still coaching guys. But, you know, being being able to referee and judge, you know, I get to go to all the events. I get to see all the familiar faces. It keeps me part of the sport. It also gives me a chance to use, you know, the skills that I developed my whole life to kind of give back to the community. So, so, I mean, I, I, it's a no-brainer for me. I mean, as soon as I could, I instantly, you know, I did Herb Dean's course and then uh, jumped right into the amateur circuit. Well, and, and you sort of mentioned it in there, too. It it's kind of seems to be a, a a little bit of a growing trend that we see a few more fighters, right? We see you and Trig and a couple other guys who have been fighting before making their way into it. But what do you think is that hurdle? Why do you think less guys don't go into the world of refereeing or judging and stuff like that? Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. The money is not the same as as it is, uh, you know, when you're competing. You've really got to be doing it for, you know, a labor. For me, it's a labor of love. 
You know, um, I mean, I spent five years, do, you know, doing amateur, driving out to the middle of nowhere, California, to referee and judge a show, you know, for 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 a hundred bucks plus gas money, you know, and, and and to me that was fine because because I absolutely love it, you know, and and I think if if it's not something if you don't if you don't love it then you know what it's it's just not for you. That makes a lot of sense. Now there, there's also a lot in the media these days about. You know, particularly judging, maybe not so much refereeing, but particularly judging and the issues that they have with either the criteria or how the criteria is applied or anything like that. Do you feel that like refereeing or judging, particularly at a high level, is as big of an issue as the media makes it out to be? Or is that just kind of, you know, is it kind of just media noise here? You know, I mean, I think it's a little of both. Now, and, and, and here's the thing. Our sport is continuing to evolve, and, and our criteria is is continuing continuing to evolve, you know. Um, you know, so, I, I mean, I, I think that, you know, I know that here in California, you know, and, and now I'm also working in Nevada, but particularly here in California where I've, where I've spent most of my time, I mean, we spend a lot of time training. We spend a lot of time developing these skills. We spend a lot of, you know, a lot of time on these Zoom calls and group meetings, really, really kind of breaking down, you know, what swings the needle from a, a, a from, from from this guy to that guy, and and what changes it from a from a from a from a ten nine to a ten eight, um, you know, and, and we're constantly revamping and then and then even changing the wording and and, and how it's written. Um, so so it is it is it is a lot of work because you know ultimately the goal for the for the commission and for me as a as a judge as well is is that the right person gets their hand raised at at the end of the night and to be perfectly honest with everybody out there that that's on on certain particular fights it can be easier said than done you've got a guy you know for example You've got a guy that likes to run, run and land his jab. Then you got another guy that's pressuring and he eats six jabs for every one power shot that he gives. You know how? You know it, it, it can be tough, and people can see fights for sure different ways. That makes a lot of sense. And you you mentioned the criteria in in making sure you have those really tough conversations around what are we weighing, how much are we weighing, what does this look like, what does that look like. Do you feel like that's what is going to improve judging across the board, or is there changes that need to be made to the criteria? I mean, constantly the criteria is is is, is being refined. The criteria was uh, recently changed, and, and it's and it's going to be the ABC criteria is going to be uh, uh, changed again here shortly. You know, we're you know it, it it never stops getting getting changed and refined because. There's there's always something that 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 we feel could be uh, could be worded a, a little better or written a little clearer so that that people understand you know the way the score went the way that it did. Well, and it's glad I'm glad that there are people like you having those conversations now. I wanted to ask you about, you know, finally getting the Nevada license and being able to judge a UFC level fight for the first time. And, and you, you know, you get that first fight, it winds up being a split decision. And like you said, you know, different people can see different parts of it. When you went back and you looked at the fact that, you know, the, the, you were the dissenting judge in that fight. It was the second round that you scored for Tamiris Vidal and not Montserrat Rendon. How did, how did that make you feel, being that that was kind of like your your first time in there and you were seeing something slightly different? Yeah, well, you know, it it it, it 
you know, being the odds judge out always puts a little bit of weight on you. That's for sure. That's for sure. You know, and, and what I would like to see is, is if every single round of every single fight, all three judges saw it the same way. But the fact of the matter is we have three judges because that's just not the case. It, that's just not how, how it works. Now, we went back and, and, and met, and I, I understand the other judges, wh- what they saw. They understand what I saw. Um, I, and, and, in, and this is one of those cases where I truly believe, because there was, uh, you know, the side that I went for landed a big overhand, a bunch of heavy leg kicks, um, and there was a takedown with about 40 seconds left, you know, and a couple elbows on the ground, which were hard to see from my, uh, from, from my viewpoint. So, you know, that was obvious. Those elbows on the ground, those two elbows on the ground were obviously what swayed the score. Now, I couldn't, I couldn't see those clearly from where I was at. So that's why we have three judges on each side of the cage so that the right person ultimately, ultimately wins. That, that makes sense to me. Now, I, I'm curious. You, you mentioned they see what you saw and you saw what they saw. Does, does that mean you get to talk a lot to other judges after these kinds of decisions? Do you spend a bunch of time, you know, looking at film and asking them what they saw and things like that? Or was it just more Absolutely. of a, a – Yeah. So so specifically in that case, you, you wound up going back and talking about round two with those two? Yes. That's that's awesome. And, and it's – when you're doing that out of curiosity, just so we, we can hear a little bit more about this process, which we never know – is it as much of informally sitting down? Is there like a formal process you follow? What what does that look like? Well, I'll, I'll give you two examples. So in California, for example, we had Bellator on Saturday night. Now, we have our post-fight meeting with the referees, the judges, the commission, and, and we invite the media to come in, right? So so Andy Foster, the executive officer, you know, he's kind of running the show you know, the, me- the media's, um, you know, running questions by him and, and asking, you know, the referees, the judges, you know, these, these specific things. And they're also watching um, what, uh, you know, what is said backstage. And we go over specific fights and we say, hey, fight six, you know, you were the odd judge out on this one. You know, why, why was that? You know, da-da-da. Well, this is what I saw. This is what we saw. This, well, maybe it should be more. And this is what the rules say. So, you know, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that back and forth continuing to hone the skills. And the shows that I have done so far in uh, Nevada have been great because literally after every fight, you reconvene with your fellow judges and the executive officer and you go over what you saw and why you scored it the way you did. So that, that happens after every single fight. Is that, you know, like you, you obviously have a break in there so you don't do back-to-back fights. Is that why that is too so that you have the time to go back there? Uh, I mean, there, you know, again, I'm the new kid on the block in Nevada, and, and that's the way it's been so far. The last two shows that I've, that I've done, I think that's standard procedure for them. That's the way they always do it, and, and I love it. The fight's fresh. You go back. You talk about the fight. You, 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 you know, I, I've, I always take notes after, in between every round, and then after the fight, I have my notes ready. I go back, and then I make adjustments in my notes to what the other people said and what they thought. I love that. I love that. So, you know, you mentioned too sort of the difficulty of watching from cage side because, you know, cage side views, anybody who sat there before knows they're, that they're imperfect. Is it different for you when you watch fights on TV in that, like, first of all, are you watching to fights on TV with the idea of scoring them? And if so, how, how different does that feel? 
it's it's very different. You can't you can't hear the shots. You can't you can't see the damage as effectively on TV. But and also on TV, you always have a great angle. You know, they, you know they do. If it's a bad angle, they switch cameras. You know, so there's there's pluses and and, and minuses to both. You know, um, one thing I hate about TV is is the commentary. You know, so if I'm ever watching a fight on TV, or generally when we're when we're having a Zoom call and discussing it. Um, I turn my volume down because I don't want to be influenced by anything uh, uh, Rogan or anybody else says, for that matter, um, you know, on, on how they see the fight. I solely want to see it the way that I see it and then afterward go back and understand, you know, and explain why I saw it that way and understand why other people saw it either the way I did or if they saw it differently, understand why. I dig that. Now, out of curiosity, so it's easy to do that when you're watching on TV and you could just mute the, the broadcast or whatever like that. But, you know, the, the thing about being in person is a lot of times there's a you know a very large crowd. They're certainly going nuts for their hometown favorites and whatnot. How, how tricky is it for you to sort of tune that out to, to be able to focus on, you know, like you said, the sounds of the punches landing and things like that? Well, I'll be, I mean, the sound of the punch, I think, is important. Right, because if somebody gets cracked and sweat goes flying in the air, wow, that was a damaging blow, right? That, you know, so that's that's one thing. Now, um, it, it does take some work, especially a lot of times our judges see this right next to one of the corners, right? So, so you know, they're going, whoa, good job. Like a punch will miss, and they'll scream, good job, nice hit. You know, I mean, that's part of their game plan, you know, and they're, they're doing everything they can do to win, and, you know, of course they should. You know, so it, so it's my job to be able to focus. You know, for that five minute round, I got to be a hundred percent dialed in, and 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 uh, you know, I can't let anything get into my head. Well, I, I love that, and I can sit here and talk to you about judging and refereeing all day. I love hearing the mind of it all. I know you're a very busy man, and I can't keep you much longer. So I'm just gonna ask. You know, usually I have um, fighters on here talking about an upcoming fight or something yeah. like that. Do you have upcoming dates for uh, when we're going to see you back in Vegas or back on a, a Bellator card or something like that soon? Uh, tomorrow. I'll be I'll be back in Vegas for uh, Dana White's Contender Series tomorrow. That's fantastic. Well, we'll be looking forward to seeing you on that and on all of the cards in the future. Once again, fans, this has been former UFC middleweight contender and now professional judge referee Chris the Crippler leaving. Chris, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you, dude. Thank you for having me. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with the Crippler, Chris Levin. I Once again, I'm Dan. You've got to be Freeland. Joined now by my co-host, Shockwave, Dave Tremonte. Dave, I feel like we got to start here. This past weekend's UFC Vegas 81 was headlined by Sadiq Youssef versus Edson Barboza. Edson Barboza, 37 years old, takes an absolute beating in round one. And what does he do? He turns it all around right there. Takes it to Sadiq Youssef for another four rounds. The dude turns back the clock. Is this more of a statement for Barboza that he's still here? Or Youssef that maybe he needs to work on the gas tank a little bit? Um, Youssef needs to work on the gas tank is, I think, the actual answer. But Barbosa has proven to be in his entire UFC career, which is now long and storied at this point. Just a fun fighter. He's always got that fight in him. Uh, you know, I think the way sometimes the UFC used to love to celebrate, like, 
Donald Cerrone, and I get it that Donald Cerrone once had a seven-fight win streak, which Barbosa can never point to saying he had. But Barbosa's like that too. Like he's got a lot of fight of the nights. He's got a lot of performance of the nights. And while he lost in a lot of big spots, spoiler alert, so did Cowboy Cerrone. He uh, would put on highlight reel performances and a lot of fun performances. And this is just another one of those at the tail end of his career. So my big statement from this is let's celebrate Edson Barbosa. He doesn't appear record-wise as a Hall of Fame fighter, but in many ways he is. Yeah, and I'll say this about, uh, because I want to give Sadiq Youssef a a little bit of uh, credit here too. I I think the thing about Edson Barbosa that A, makes him so fun and B, makes him so dangerous is just like, you can't fight this dude for 25 minutes and feel good at the end of it. You know what I mean? Like he works the body so well, he works the legs so well, and he could knock you out at any given time. So to, to Sadiq Yusuf's credit, he tried to get him out of there in five minutes. He knew he wasn't going to stand in front of him and still have two usable legs and any kind of cardio left after 15 minutes. And, and you know, he didn't, right? Like he, he got beat up in the second and third and then was a shell of himself for the fourth and the fifth. So I do think Yusuf's game plan wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen. But I will also say that's just what makes Edson Barboza so great. He's so fun to watch. And he's devastating with everything he strikes to, including the things that aren't the head. You know, actually, I'm re-looking at this. And his record isn't all that bad. It's 18 and 11 over 13 years. So, you know, he, he might finish out here with another three or four fights. Maybe he splits those. You're probably looking at like a 20 and 13 record or something like that. When all is said and done, like 20 plus wins, maybe in the UFC, uh, you know, I said, he's not a hall of famer by record. Actually, he might be. Yeah. And, and, you know, we're talking about losses in there too. We're talking Tony Ferguson, interim champion, Habib, uh, we're talking Justin Gaethje interim champion. We're talking Kevin Lee fought for the interim belt. Like he's, he's lost to some pretty high level dudes. And then some of the other ones he lost to, you know, are guys we might talk about being like big names sometime in the future. You know, the, the Danny gays and the Bryce Mitchells and the Giga Chikadzes are, yeah, you know, yeah, those, those are tough dudes. So, uh, yeah, he, he's turned away everybody he should turn away, it seems like. You know what I mean? Like, he turned away, you know, Dan Hook. I mean, he beat Benil Dariush and Gilbert Melendez and Anthony Pettis, too. Like, that's a hell of a run right there. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think when we look back at this career, we're going to be saying it was far better than we even remember it being. I like it. Well, I'll tell you what else I like. Uh, it's Fight Dog, Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, our favorite segment on the show. We'll break down a couple of fights, give you a parlay to play, and a live dog you might want to put some money on. Let's get to it, Gumby. Who sponsors this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays? Absolutely. Fights, Dogs, and Parlays is brought to you by X Marshall. If you want to pick up some of the best gear in martial arts, you got to check out X Marshall. From rash guards to shorts, streetwear to training equipment, they've got you covered. X Marshall is one of the fastest growing brands out there. And for a reason, the quality of their product is second to none. They're taking style to the next level, and they really do have a design for every taste and personality. So go check them out at xmarshall.com and use promo code TURTLE, T-U-R-T-L-E, for 10% off everything in the store. All right, let's start with a fun main event. Alexander Volkanovsky, a plus 205 dog, in a rematch with Islam Makhachev, a minus 265 favorite for the 155-pound title. Volkanovsky, of course, um, subbing in here uh, for Charlie Olives on short notice. Now, everyone was making a huge deal about this. Uh, Usman, who we'll talk about in a second, also a short notice add-on. 
And they were saying like, this is just maybe my, I guess the people I interact with uh, in real life and on social media, but everyone was saying like, oh, this is such a, a coup, such a great move by the UFC to have these two replacement fights at the last minute. And yeah, I, I mean, I obviously agree. These are, these are great fights, um, but it's not that crazy to me. I mean, I'm more or less thinking they told the fighters themselves and their agents, hey, be ready. You know, you might be a backup here if, if all goes wrong. And two, when the UFC calls you up, and Volkanovsky talked about this recently in an interview, they went back and forth on some negotiation. They held out for a little more money. But when the UFC calls you up and says, hey, we'll give you 800K to show, uh, doesn't matter if you win or lose. And you know it's in the Mideast, so, you know, some Saudi prince is going to take you out uh, for nightclub bottle service and give you 200,000 to appear afterwards. This isn't a hard business deal to necessarily get done, in my humble opinion. So I just want to put that out there. But again, it's a great fight. We've seen this fight before, Gumby. Islam Makhachev uh, defeated Volkanovsky when they fought last uh, or earlier this year in February. And that was the last time we saw Makhachev. Volkanovsky came back and beat Yair Rodriguez back at 145. He defended that title in July. And now, short notice, back in there as the dog to Makachev. Who you got? And, you know, I just don't think you can bet a side that's not Alexander Volkanovsky here, right? Their first fight, so razor close, right? Like, I, I made the argument the morning after that it was Volkanovsky. I've gone back and watched that fight different times, and I've come up with different results on different times because you see this little piece or that little piece. It's such a hard fight to judge. So if you can get a guy at a better than two-to-one underdog number, now granted, he is taking it on short notice. I rec recognize that. But if you can get a guy on, you know, uh, who, who's a two-and-a-half or, you know, two-to-one dog here in a fight that was basically a coin flip, you got to take that every day. And I'll just say this. The thing that made that fight so interesting to me was that Volkanovsky's wrestling defense hug up. You know, like it, it was easily there to stop what he needed to stop. And there's probably a time or two where he wound up in a bad situation. He wound up with Makachev on his back. But I think with the high level of grappling training he has and working with Craig Jones and all those guys, like I just think it's going to look a little bit better this time. Uh, I think he's more likely to be the one to have fun new surprises versus Makachev, who is like, well, look, we kind of know what he is, right? Like he might be a little bit better in all of the ways that he is, but like we kind of know what to expect with him. So yeah, I'm going to go with Volkanovsky here. I'll take the big dog money here on uh, on him, you know, reversing the result. Okay, so I just want to clarify this. You, I, So I think there's a case to be made for liking in a razor sharp, or excuse me, in a very close matchup and a rematch at that, and you saw so many things or we all saw so many things we liked about Volkanovsky. I like his dog money, but let's take odds out of it. You pick uh, Volkanovsky straight up as well. You know, that that I, I still think I'm at like a coin flip situation on here too, because again, it, it was a razor close first fight. I think Volkanovsky is more likely to add wrinkles to his game and be a little bit different. I know we've compared him in the past to like GSP in that like, remember when GSP came out with his jab for the, the Josh Koscheck fight and just like <laughs> blistered that dude's eyeball into oblivion. Like I think Volkanovsky is more likely to change things up. And when you put that together with the fact that also he's unfortunately on short notice here, I think this fight remains a coin flip. I think this is a 50-50 fight. This is as easy as it's going to be. It's probably two of the best three fighters in the world right now. If you don't count John Jones, it's the two top fighters in the world right now. And so, I, I mean, like, if you told me gun to my head I had to pick somebody, I might lean Volkanovsky. I might pick him at 
50.0001%, but it's that close to me. So if you got dog money, get the dog money. Yeah, I like that. I'm with you on that. I think uh, what, so first of all, I felt in the very first matchup that Makachev would use his size and strength advantage. Um, I did worry a little bit about his boxing versus uh, Volkanovski because Volkanovski is just the most, like one of the most complete MMA fighters we've ever seen. And he, so he's all around good, can take the fight absolutely anywhere, but also he just happens to be a phenomenal uh, technical striker, more technical than I find Makachev to be. But Makachev's power is what kind of kept me from picking Volkanovsky the first time. Uh, I think Makachev has tools that could beat him. I like the dog money, but I, or excuse me, I think Volkanovsky has tools to beat Makachev. I like the dog money on him, but I'm still picking Makachev. I pick him uh, straight up. And on the short rest, I, that sort of seals the deal for me with my Makachev pick. That makes sense to me. The short notice one is certainly the uh, the biggest question mark. And we're going to talk about that again in the co-main event. <laughs> yeah, so Kamzat uh, Chemaev is a minus 295 favorite. He's facing Kamara Usman, who's stepping up on short notice as a plus 220 dog. Kamzat has looked nothing short of dominant in the UFC other than his fight with Gilbert Burns, which was a, he, it was a unanimous decision for him, but a very close fight that could have gone either way. It was a fight of the night. It was only three rounds. And we saw Gilbert Burns really expose some holes in his defensive boxing. Um, he'll be facing someone in Kamara Usman, who, known for his wrestling, really in his title run at 170, really came on as someone who is a pretty technical striker. Um, you know, we saw him knock out Jorge Masvidal, and that was quite impressive. And we saw him outbox and out cardio uh, Colby Covington. I think in a five-round fight, I very much would favor Kamara Usman just because of the cardio advantage. But we also have to take into effect that Usman has been head kick KO by Leon Edwards. He's on a two-fight losing streak. Um, you know, sometimes when you get the light shut off uh, on you like that, you might become a bit of an easier target. Chimaev is certainly going to be the feistier of the two, I think. I think Usman will play a more straight-up kind of, you know, let me test this out. Let's, you know, see what happens in the first round versus the second round. He's going to have strategy around his game. Chimaev to me is like a dog being let out of a cage and he's just going to come out guns blazing and that could certainly hurt him. But the three rounds probably placed as advantage. Bottom line comes at Chimaev, a minus uh, 295 favorite, three to one favorite and Usman, the former champ, a two to one dog. Who you got? I'm going Usman here. And I know I'm going to be out on a limb here and not a lot of people are going to be with me. But for me, a couple of pieces. First of all, I'm I I don't know how good Kamzat is going to look with this layoff. It's been a long ass time since we've seen Kamzat Chemaev in the the cage, and the last time we saw him, he was getting outboxed by Gilbert Burns at points in that fight, pretty heavily outboxed by Gilbert Burns, particularly later in the fight. And for me, that is alarm bells everywhere when you're fighting Kamara Usman. Now, the the short notice piece. Obviously alarming. Kamara Usman could come in there looking like a shell of himself, and I'm going to look super stupid. But I will say this about that fight, is that if you compare the way the two did when they were boxing Gilbert Burns, one of them beat the brakes off of Gilbert Burns and knocked him silly. The other one struggled mightily with Gilbert Burns for 15 minutes. And for me, like, then you have to ask, like, is either of these guys going to take the other one down? I don't think so. I, I don't think Kamzat's going to come here and bulldoze uh, Kamar Usman. I don't think it's really possible to bulldoze Kamar Usman like that with the wrestling. And 
I don't even know that he's going to want to because the other thing is Camaro has sort of sleepy submissions. I know people, you know, don't remember those from earlier in his career, but he had good submissions earlier in his career. And, you know, like, I mean, you go back to the Burns fight because that's the last piece of, you know, data we have for Kamsat Shemaev. And like, he just didn't want to grapple Gilbert Burns because he didn't like what he saw on the ground when he saw Gilbert Burns on the ground. So if this does stay on the feet, whose boxing do I trust more? I mean, on one hand, one guy's on short notice. The other guy's been off for a year and a half. So I'm going to go ahead and trust the dog money here on Usman. I think he's proven that he's the better boxer. And yeah, if, if we take away those two fights versus Leon Edwards, I think people would think this fight isn't even close. And a lot of people would be in on with Usman here. The the fights with Edwards, I mean, you got to ask yourself, is Edwards that damn good or is Usman washed? And I tend to think it's the former. All right. I like everything you're putting out there. Um, I do think, like I said, if it was five rounds, I really like Usman. I find him to be the the smarter fighter and obviously the better cardio, uh, cardio tank. I mean, he just manages his energy so much better than Kamzat. Um, but that's something that might evolve. Kamzat, we haven't seen final form Kamzat either. Maybe each fight he gets a little smarter and gets a little better managing his gas tank. The other thing I worry about with Usman is, Sometimes when guys, um, and I think about like Tyron Woodley in this case, when they taste that, not that it was Woodley's first loss, but when they start losing at a later age, Usman is 36. Uh, Woodley, when he lost his title belt, I think was about 37. Those last few years get very ugly sometimes. Yeah, and that's and, yeah, that that's a concern that he's Woodley, right? Like that he he could just be Woodley, um, and, and this could come crashing down at like a moment's time, and and I think this fight will tell us a lot about whether or not he's a little bit more like a guy who is going to you know like sort of fade off into the sunset and have fun fights with guys like Kama or Kamza, or if he's just going to like disappear and look like a shell of himself for for four fights. Um, let's go to the next fight. Uh, it's a good one, uh, in a lot of ways, even though the odds don't necessarily say that Magomed Ankilov is a minus 370 favorite Johnny Walker, a plus 265 dog. Ankilov at one point was thought to be a future, uh, title challenger, or I should say a potential, uh, title holder. And he did fight for the vacant light heavyweight championship last year and had a split decision draw to Jan Blankovic. That was back in December of 2022. Other than that, he's been um, almost perfect in the UFC, debuted on a loss to Paul Craig, and then reeled off eight wins in a row. Uh, so he's 8-1-1 one, one in the UFC overall, and he's fighting Johnny Walker, massive dog here. But guess what? Johnny Walker's on a three-fight win streak with wins over Ian Kutaleba via rear naked choke, Paul Craig via TKO, and he's coming off a unanimous decision victory over Anthony Smith in May of 2023. We have a Johnny Walker resurgence here. Who you got? I'm going to go with Ankeliev. I, I want to go with Johnny Walker because I love him. He's so damn fun. But, like, look, he's fighting Ian Kudalaba in that first fight, a guy who, you know, has some glaring holes in his game and fights like a maniac. He fought Paul Craig next, a guy who badly needs a takedown in order to win fights and just simply didn't get it. Uh, and then he fought Anthony Smith, who I think we all agree at this point in time is kind of a shell of his own self. I, I worry about whether or not he can – he can continue to be his technical ass self. Cause that's the thing about Johnny Walker. He's lost a little bit of his chaos. He's less chaotic. And I don't think if he's not chaotic, he can get to ankle Because I think ankle is just a little bit sharper. We know he's got 
not a lot of wrestling. I'm not going to say he's an amazing wrestler because he is a better kickboxer than he is a wrestler most of the time. But, like, he's got a wrestling advantage over Johnny Walker. He's got the ability to put Johnny Walker up against the cage and kind of force him to work too much. Um, and just, like, I think just too many ways to win and spoil the fun that is Johnny Walker. So uh, I'm going to go with Ankoliev. I think he's uh, just more complete in a lot of different ways. All right, I like it. Uh, our underdog of the week is Abu Azatar, a plus 160. Let's hear it. Yeah, Abu Zaitar is, is fighting Cedricus Dumas. And I'll just say this straight up. I think Cedricus Dumas is being just like a little bit overrated based on some of his recent performances. Like he had that fight with uh, Cody Brundage. Uh, and, and and I think a lot of people saw that fight with Cody Brundage. And he's like, oh, look, he's on top of the wrestler, Cody Brundage. Cody Brundage, like just like, jumped guillotine like 17 times and wound up on his back i don't think we see anything even close to resembling this here instead i think we see somebody who can outbox cedricus dumas because the thing about a boo zaitar is he hits like a truck he hits really freaking hard and yeah he had a little bit of trouble after getting tired against mark andre barrio uh, and, and granted that fight was a long time ago but I'm not sure that Dumas has got the same kind of like gas tank wear you out nature that that Marc-Andre Barrio does. I don't think he has the kind of chinny that Barrio does. Um, and I think Abu is just going to get to him. So, yeah, I'm going to go as, with a Zayatar here. Uh, plus 160. I like it. Um, let's then move to our parlay to play. It's Saeed Nurmagomedov, minus 230. And Shurapudin Magomedov, uh, minus 245. Put those two names together, and it gets you a crazy name, actually. But put those two <laughs> fighters together, and it gets you plus 115 odds. Let's let's hear it. Yeah, Sedner Megamedov, I think it's just too good of a striker for Muin Gafaroth. Uh, Gafaroth looked kind of shaky in both his contender series fight in his UFC debut. And Sedner Megamedov, yeah, he's not your standard Megamedov with tons of wrestling. But I think that actually plays well here. As long as he can keep his fight feet against Gafaroth, I think he's just going to piece him up, hit him wherever he wants. You're going to see some spinning gap back kicks to the body. He, he's just going to win this fight handedly on the feet, which is why you see him as a big favorite. And then rather pay, than paying that big juice, Let's pair him with Sharapudin Magomedov, who I think a lot of people are going to love after this fight because he is electric on the feet, flying knees, spinning back kicks, all that kind of thing. And he's going to be fighting a guy who will oblige him in a striking matchup in Bruno Silva. I think that's why they brought Bruno Silva in for this fight. Silva's looked good at times, like the Brad Tavares fight. But other than that, he's looked kind of like a slower striker. Bre you know, Brendan Allen got to him on the feet. Brendan Allen isn't the same kind of uh, striker as Shara Bullet is here. So I'm going to take Shara Bullet along with Sedner Megamedov and get ourselves some plus money. Boom. Uh, that wraps up our breakdown uh, for the fights this weekend. Gumby, uh, what should we do next? We're having a party. Let's not stop this uh, this party train. So we're going to transition now to my interview with Mohamed Naimov, who is fighting this upcoming weekend against Nathaniel Wood. And we're going to get to that interview for you right now. All right, and joining me today is Mohamed Naimov, who fights Nathaniel Wood at UFC 294. That fight is on October 21st. So, Mohamed, I want to start here. You know, obviously, you had that amazing short notice debut. You shocked people. You went in there against a veteran on, you know, virtually no notice. H how did you feel in there being that you didn't get a full training camp for, for your first fight? Uh, to be honest, I was in really good shape uh, in that time. Uh, I mean, like, I always train. I train twice a day. and But, like, in, in that time, I took like really smart uh, training. Uh, like I did like five days in, two days out. I mean, like on the weekend, I always resting, you know. 
but five hard days. And I was in really good shape uh, because of uh, I wrestled a lot in that. Uh, I don't want to say camp, but in like training, uh, you know, uh, moments. So, you, you know, you mentioned in there that you do five hard days of training and two days of rest. I, I know some fighters have talked about, you know, burnout and working too hard and too much. Is that what that two days of rest is about? Is, is it about making sure that your body yeah. has the time to recover? Uh, usually, uh, like when I have, uh, I'm in training camp, like right now, uh, I train six days in a week, like uh, even like Saturday. But in that moment, like uh, I train five days in, two days out. I try to go to mountains in Colorado. I try to uh, waste that two days, like really good, like uh, active resting, you know, like uh, to stay far from training. I thought, to be honest, like I thought, uh, I didn't like uh, get called from UFC, but I definitely get called from contender series. But I get called for UFC, you know, and then like uh, I was ready for that. And, and you mentioned in there going out and training in Colorado, and I know you do work with Team Elevation, but obviously you're um, out you're out in Abu Dhabi right now. You you made the trip a little bit yeah. early. How is yes. that working with your training camp? What have you decided to do for this this upcoming fight with Nathaniel Wood? Um. We start camp really good. We start camp in Tajikistan first. Uh, I was like uh, four or five weeks, but I didn't know I'm going to fight in uh, uh, like uh, Abu Dhabi. They told me five uh, weeks before the fight. And then uh, we accept the fight. Uh, first of all, they sent us uh, the other guy, opponent. Uh, he was 155, but my coaches wants me, uh, I go down to 145. And then they sent us this guy, uh, the guy is from England. He's a really tough guy. I have uh, just respect for him. But, you know, like, uh, I believe in myself. I can pass this guy, you know, as always. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned the decision to go down to 145 pounds and not stay up at 55, especially after you had an electric debut at lightweight. Why did you and your coach decide that, that featherweight was actually the right move for you? Because I'm a featherweight. All my fights in pro, in amateur is a featherweight, you know, like uh, I, I fought when I was in amateur for uh, real MMA uh, title uh, for lightweight. Uh, I won the fight, but like this was my second fight fighting in uh, lightweight. And then uh, I'm not big uh, featherweight, you know, like uh, I, I'm not like, uh, I think like, in the future, maybe, but for right now, I'm good with featherweight. I want to clear with featherweight, then go up. That makes a lot of sense. Now, you also mentioned you started the camp at home in Tajikistan. It, it's a country which is becoming part of the UFC map, right? Like, more and more fighters are getting contacts from Tajikistan. I, I mean, we've uh, seen the reactions back home, right? The, the UFC loves playing the videos. So, what is uh, it like for you to, first of all, see so many countrymen in the UFC as well? And then getting on this fight card with, you know, so many Middle Eastern fighters who will who will be there representing their countries. Uh-huh. So, um, you know what? Uh, it's a really good question. Uh, this card, I don't know, like, more, more, uh, uh, maybe a lot of Americans don't know. But this guy, uh, this card, I believe it's going to bring a lot of views, uh, even like Pepe views because of uh, all Russia, all Soviet Union, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, Azerbaijan, uh, even like uh, uh, Kafka's all city, they're going to watch because of 
uh, everybody speaks Russian. So uh, we are Soviet Union. Our second language is uh, Russian, you know. Everybody gonna watch. Every, uh, there's a lot of population out here. Uh, and also this is in Middle East, you know. Uh, it's gonna be great card. It's gonna be a lot of people. It's gonna be a lot of views. It's gonna be really, really card of the year, I believe so, because the vibe is really great. That's awesome to hear. Now, I, I usually like to ask this. I'm getting a little off track here, but I usually like to ask this of all fighters because I love a story about where a fight nickname comes from. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of guys who go by Hitman or, you know, a whole bunch of guys who go by, you know, Bulldog or you know Pitbull. Oh but there's only one Hillman, right? Like there's only one guy who goes by Hillman. So can you explain maybe where that nickname came from for me? There's only one. <laughs> so, uh when I start my uh, training, uh, like when uh, my MMA career, you know, uh, I was in Russia, uh, honestly. My my family, they live in Russia. So I went there and in airport, they stopped me. They stopped me for a long time. Uh, I would ask them, what's the reason of stop me? I live in the United States. I can make there a lot of money. I don't need your Russia. I don't need wanna stay in Russia. I just come visit my family and I'm gonna go. I have ten thousand on my pocket right now and on my bank account I have another ten thousand. I don't wanna live here. I don't wanna stay here because Russia is cold. Russia is blah blah blah. Uh, they like most of them. Not all of them. I have great Russian friends, but like most of them, they are racism. You know, like they says like. Uh, they open my money, they put like 100, 100, 100, and they just count like, you only can have 10,000. And it was 9,700. They hold me like four or five hours in one room. I was so hungry, so bad. And they have bad conversation. They took all my clothes, uh, throw uh, like uh, on the ground. I was really pissed, you know. And then I says like, Okay, one day I'm gonna come, but I'm gonna come different. And then there's a lot of Tajik migrants uh, living in Russia. And one of my fight, I said like this: "Hey, Tajikistan, we are from high mountains. It's mean like all Tajikistan, 97% of Tajikistan is mountains. We don't have to go low. That's mean like kind of we have to uh, show them like they have to respect us, you know." Uh, I'm as a fighter, I can speak English, I can speak Russian, I can speak Tajik, you know, Farsi, uh, this is my language. Uh, you know, kind of, I don't, I, I want to everybody have respect for me, for my uh, Tajik uh, Republic, for Tajik people. Most of them, they talk really bad uh, with Tajik people. That hurt uh, my feelings so bad, you know. That's why I says like, hey, Tajikistan, we are from high mountains, we never go low. Uh, and then from there, they put my name, uh, like nickname Hillman. Hillman, that's mean like mountain man. I love that. that. The people just give me that, you know. I love that. I love that. That's a that's an excellent story in a, a great origin of your nickname. So let's get back to talking about the fight. Obviously, you know, you've got this fight with Nathaniel Wood. As you mentioned, he's very highly touted. The people from England love him. People have been talking about him being a potential title challenger in the past. What is it like uh -huh. getting somebody who is so well respected in your second fight? Uh -huh. uh, England people, uh, I just want to prove them. They're just thinking wrong, you know, because uh, 
he definitely not gonna pass me in this fight. He definitely, you know, I guarantee he's not gonna do that. I have respect. I don't have any. This is not trash talk. This is real talk. Like what I'm doing, how I'm training, how I have uh here, how strong I'm here. Like that's why that's make me believe he cannot pass me. Uh, they uh England people, they have uh choose, they have choice to uh think like that, but. It's not. Uh, it's not definitely like this. You know, this fight is gonna be different. It's gonna be by my side. It's gonna. My hand is gonna be raised. You know, I'm uh, really confident about it. Uh, he's tough. He's tough. He have good hands, good kicks. Uh, he's a gamer. Uh, he likes to move a lot. He likes to uh, throw a lot of punches. He go have good combination. He can fight three rounds. But with me, it's gonna be different, bro. I'm not. Uh, Andre Philly, I'm not uh, Charles Jordan. I'm a different fighter. I love that. So I usually like to end these things with a prediction. So tell me, how does this one end come October 21st? <laughs> I want to keep it secret, but it's going to be finished for sure. It's going to be fun. Like that, Nathaniel, I don't want to, you're going to watch this interview or no. Uh, I promise it's going to be wild, bro. Like it's going to be fun. You know, like, uh, during the fight, we are enemies. After fight, we can sit, get some coffee, but not like before, you know. Absolutely. And you heard it here first, folks. This has been Muhammad Namov, who fights Nathaniel Wood. That fight is at UFC 294 on October 21st. Muhammad, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for you, for your time, for everything. And that's going to do it for another episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Game Up Hard Hydration and X Marshall. And remind you guys that you can check us out on Instagram or Twitter at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. And until next week, I'm Dana Gobi Freeland. He's Jacques Wave Dave Tremonte. And we'll catch you then.